When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Lavender U, a community for LGBTQ plus women and femmes, where we talk about all things queer media and representation. I'm Jamie Margolin, and today on the pod, we have Bella Lavelle. Bella Lavelle is an actress best known for playing Heather in the CW comedy drama series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, voice acting bisexual icon Mermista in She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, as well as playing Khadijah in The Big Sick. Bella is an ally to the LGBTQ community, and her character Mermista in Shira, as previously stated, is a bi icon. Bella is also an advocate for representation in the media and uses her platform to speak up on her experiences as a mixed race Black woman in Hollywood and other issues that she cares about, such as the Black Lives Matter movement. Bella, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I didn't realize Mermista was a bi icon, and I am so excited about that. <laughs> She is. She is. Um, <laughs> the the internet, the the TikTok slash Twitter slash all of the gay people on the internet are are fans of Mermista. She's iconic. <laughs> I love it. I love she it. She is I'm, iconic. I'm so excited to hear it. <laughs> but before we we dive into a little bit more about the characters that you play and the work that you do, can you just tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and and how you got into entertainment? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I feel like we became friends because I was like such a fan of you and read that article um, <laughs> about you in the Times and was just like, oh, my God, she's amazing. Um, and I was already a fan of you because I've binge watched she and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend all of the time in quarantine and previously. <laughs> so I was like, she noticed me. She knows how you Yeah. Exist. Oh my gosh. I was like, Jamie's done more with her life than I have in mine. No. Ever well. Ever well. No. Um, no, truly, I'm like so happy to be here and happy you're doing this. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I was one of those people who um just kind of loved to entertain. Um, I grew up in a single mom household and just like loved to make my mom laugh and was just like constantly trying to like perform and be weird and wacky. Um, but my mom was like convinced that I was going to be a concert pianist. Like she just got it in her mind that that was like how I was going to really, I don't know, provide for her in her old age. So, um, so I was like playing classical piano kind of my whole childhood. And that was kind of like the thing I was supposed to be good at and do. And I ended up going to an arts boarding school called Interlochen um, in Northern Michigan, um, which is really intense, like a lot of intense, like Josh Groban went there and like, um, I think Jewel went there. I don't know, like a lot of intense, like musicians um, go there. And um, it was kind of, I, I got a scholarship and I went and I kind of realized while I was like trying to practice like six hours a day in the middle of the woods by myself that I, it does not, it didn't make me happy. And so I kind of was like, I need to um, kind of secretly pursue what does make me happy, which was acting and performing. And um, I I tried out for NYU like secretly and got into the theater program there and 
um, and decided to kind of go for it. And so then moved to New York when I was um, 17 and and found an incredible community of people that I am still really close with. And, um, and yeah, I guess just kind of explored what it means to be a, a working actor from there. Um, I started working in TV and film like six years ago, I guess. And I kind of did never expected to be able to pay my rent by <laughs> telling stories. So I'm pretty much as shocked as anyone that I am. Um, but I kind of very firmly believe that um, you have to kind of be wherever you get to, you need to be reaching out your hand and um, helping the next person get there. So um, I'm, yeah, hopefully using whatever tiny platform I have to just kind of help, help pave the way. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a uh, you're you're an NYU alum. I'm currently at NYU Tisch, except for film. Hey. I've, I've interacted, I've interacted with the theater kids um, at NYU. Um, the reason why I started Lavender U is because growing up, I didn't see a lot of or any representation for girls like me in the mainstream media in my community. Mm -hmm. Growing up as a lesbian, when you only see yourself either in like there's like the L word. Ellen DeGeneres and like that's it to uh, up until recently where there's been an explosion of great queer media um but I kind of I, I felt like lost and and confused and like I it, it made it more difficult for me to come to terms with who I was because I didn't really see girls like me and so I thought like there was something wrong with me and I truly believe, and the reason why I'm majoring in film and television is I truly believe that film and TV and, and just media is what shapes the culture. What we see on television, what we see in the movies, what we see on screen is how we perceive the world around us. And it shapes it shapes our view of everything drastically. It, it controls the narrative. And so obviously there's, there's more than just a lack of queer representation in the media. There's also a lack of proper representation for other communities, especially communities of color, queer people of color. Um pretty much anyone who isn't like white and straight and or like a essentially a wasp white anglo-saxon protestant especially <laughs> in um yeah in american cinema we we don't really see that much representation and if it is and if it does exist it's kind of flawed or, or wrong or or um offensive in some way though things are getting better how was it like for you um growing up as a a young black woman who wanted to get into the entertainment industry and like, did you have a similar experience as me in terms of wishing for more representation and then trying to become the representation that you always wished you had? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like when you're just talking about that, I relate so hard just in that, um, like loved stories and loved old movies and loved musicals. And, um, there's, just little to no black people, let alone like, you know, I'm like mixed race. And like, it was just kind of like, there was no one that I saw that looked like me. But like, I think even more than that, um, I don't know if you relate to this, or this was your experience. But I think you start to internalize that. And yes. it's not that like, I'm kind of disappointed in myself, because I'm like, it's not that like, I washed it and said, like, I need to be up there. I just thought like, well, there's just no one. Like you just, it kind of just like starts to work on your psyche. It's one of those things you don't realize how pervasive that narrative is that you just, you can love something, you can sing all the songs, you can like know every line of a movie 
but like the fact that there's no one that like kind of shows that like you could be there is is really um it's like subliminal messaging that I don't real I think I I don't think I realized how powerful that was until honestly like I grew up and was just like oh like there's no there's nobody and like yeah we're starting to have representation but I think what what a lot of people um notice is that often characters who are black who are gay like who are just anything other than the straight white man are often not three-dimensional and often they're asked to be in the box that um we're quote-unquote used to seeing people in and um and that is also dangerous. It's like, it's not just great to have like the stereotypical sidekick if you're not going to give, make them a human being. You can wait all day for, for the person that tells you that you have the right to exist, you know, but it is actually so powerful if you give yourself that, that permission to be like, oh, I get to matter too. And I get to be up there too. I, I relate to that so much because folks who who see themselves represented all the time who get kind of annoyed by the cause for representation are like what are you talking about there's a black woman in this movie or there's a lesbian in this like don't you have enough but there's so many different stories within black women mixed race black women there's so many different stories of of lesbians there are queer people of color so it's not just like oh we have a, a white gay person and a straight black person we did it guys like there's intersections and i feel like <laughs> yeah. people people don't understand that and my lesbian story is not the same as as every other one. Like, I don't speak for all gay people, but people are like, oh, well, what do you mean? You have Carol. You're good. You have the L word. I'm like, OK, right. <laughs> cool. Um, we gave you one movie. You're welcome. And you're just like, no, no, no. Like, I mean, sometimes if you just imagine what it's like to be a straight white man and just think of like every movie is made for you. Like you can literally just like sometimes I think about it and I'm like, what would the confidence level be if you were just like, if I like for myself just was like constantly inundated with, with someone who looked like me and had my experience, I think I would just feel incredible. That's <laughs> and they why, do. And they do. That's why they're so confident. It's I think <laughs> yeah. people often, when I say like, they're, when they're like, what do you advocate for? Like there's my climate activism, which people see the value in, but then I'm like, also I advocate for like more representation in the media. And they're just like, what? that's not like okay it seems so small and like a weird microcosm that doesn't really make a difference but for people who see themselves all the time if you're used to seeing your story reflected back at you constantly then it's kind of you don't even realize what it's like to have the world catered to you and for me everything is like catered to straight people um and so everywhere I turn, it's just straight people, straight people, straight people. And straight <laughs> people don't notice that. They're not like, where? why is there only one story being told? They're like, this is the norm. And then if there's like a gay movie, they're like, oh, okay, you, you got one. The, the homosexuals have a film. Congrats. Heart mm-hmm. emoji. Continue. Mm-hmm. And then um, mm-hmm. I remember... I was tweeting at the, I think it was the uh, different directors and stuff about like, can you make more representation in your films? Like I'm a big Disney fan. I was like, why can't you got with the whole, when frozen two came out, there was like a big push of like, she's gay. Elsa's a lesbian. Like why can't Mm. you like, uh, Disney was queer baiting a lot. They were like, I don't know. Like we might give her a female love interest. JK, we won't. And so, um, (laughs) 
and so they were like kind of pandering to gay people who related to her character to, to the character but then also. not but not then they actually didn't taking actually that into account deliver and after that happened and after i saw the movie i was like that's it i'm gonna do this if no one else is gonna tell the gay stories that i want to see then i think i have to do it so i just like applied to nyu and got into tish and here i am wow <laughs> that's incredible and honestly i'm so so glad that you are I mean, I'm like, I feel like the film industry is very lucky to have you, but I'm because, you know, representation is not just about, I think a lot of people think it's just about what you're watching on screen and that is very powerful, but I think so much of it is about who is behind the screen and who is creating things and who honestly, who is saying yes and who is at the very top, literally that like the, the faceless people that we don't know, those are almost always straight white men. Like the, the, the meetings that are happening that are okaying everything. We just, we never know those names and we never know who they are, but they're almost always kind of the status quo. And so I think that is so important when you're talking about representation, inclusivity, equity, equality is like not just what you see, but like really dissecting things and being like, who is making this? Whose story is it actually? Um, and I think you can tell. I think you can just, I think there's been so many exciting developments that are long overdue that are happening recently. And then you start to be like, re- start reading the credits and being like, who made this movie and who wrote it, you know? Like um, I can tell when a gay movie was made by a straight person, and I'm sure it can, I'm course. sure you can tell if like a movie about um, black folks is made by a white person. Like yeah, crazy. you and like honestly, I was just like on a panel um, for this great company called Real Works that works with um, young like aspiring filmmakers in in New York, and we were on a like a town hall panel, and we were just talking about it's not that because I do think you know it's it's creativity like it's not like a straight person can't write a great gay character I mean there's there's been plenty of them but it's one of those things um that it's just that spark of authenticity that I think you can tell when someone who has had that lived experience is creating it and it's just it's like little specific things that make you go when you're watching at home like oh oh like they get it like whatever yeah. it is. And it's like you, I think that you probably can have an example. Like I've had examples of just kind of being like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like they know what that's like, you know, like they know what it's like to have that experience because they put in that little detail. And I think that is the thing that makes the difference in terms of actually achieving representation is you feel really seen when you can just tell that someone with that lived experience has created the show or the movie or whatever it is you're consuming. And it means the world to you. So let's talk about like some of the things that you've done. Both of the, both of the shows that you're most known for crazy ex-girlfriend and She-Ra and the princesses of power are both made by um, non-white men. Uh, It was two women who co-created crazy ex-girlfriend and then Noelle Stevenson um, who is um, a genderqueer lesbian created Shira and the Princesses of Power. So we're uh, talking about women who have been writing the roles that that you've played. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should dive into Shira and the Princesses of Power. Um, for those of the people listening who haven't watched the show, which honestly, like, shame on you. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. Everyone is gay. <laughs> shame on you. There are, shame. There, there, it's, it has a all pretty much all female slash non-binary writers room and uh everyone is gay literally everyone in that show is queer in some way noelle stevenson the creator was like yeah like 
it's a different planet. Like, there isn't homophobia here. So it's a really great show. For people who don't know mm-hmm. uh, about she and the Princess of Power, can you tell people a little bit about what the show is and your character, Mermista, and who she is? Yeah. Um, so She-Ra is, it's a, a remake, a reboot, a reimagining of the, the 80s cartoon She-Ra, um, which was, oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong because I didn't watch it before, but She-Ra originally was He-Man's twin sister, um, who is essentially fighting the evil horde and trying to take back Etheria. Um, but in, in um, Noelle Stevenson's reimagining of She-Ra, um, there is no He-Man. She-Ra is, is just herself and is Adora. And it's like She-Ra is Adora's kind of um, alter ego warrior kind of um, avatar, I guess, in a way um, that she turns into. And it's essentially just like Adora and her best friends, um, Glimmer and Bo, who are kind of working together to fight this evil force of the horde and i play mermista who's the um the mermaid princess um she can turn into a mermaid and which was my dream um, and basically a huge part of the first season is the princesses of all of these different parts of etheria coming together to try and kind of be stronger together so that they can fight the horde Basically, it's like the one animated show where everyone is queer in some way and there's no labels. And Etheria is a planet where people can be who they are. And even the the bad guys like aren't homophobic. Like they're just trying to take over the world, but they're not racist and they're not homophobic. <laughs> right. So it's like even right. in a world where there's some really bad stuff going on, racism and homophobia just doesn't exist. And no one ever like has this big coming out scene. Like the main character, the main characters, Katra and Adora are lesbians and they are very much in love with each other. And that's like the the whole thing is base- basically one angsty, like long stretched out. <laughs> they're like yeah. weird tension between them. Yeah, what you were saying, Jamie, like, Noelle just created, like, a completely empowering world that doesn't have homophobia, that doesn't have racism, that doesn't have, you know, like, all of the princesses are, none of them are really, like, the prototype of princess, of what you think of when you think of, like, a Disney princess. They're all, um, they're either queer or they're brown or they're they're tall or they're bigger. You know, they're just so many different untraditional types of princess, which warmed my heart. And honestly, it's one of those things when I um, found out I got She-Ra, I didn't know all of this stuff. Like I, um, I feel so lucky that I feel like I like fell into this incredibly empowering world. And so it was just every recording session, I would go in and learn a little bit more about the world. And my heart just would like grow every time I was in there. Cause I was realizing like, what a cool, smart, incredibly capable person Noelle is. And that I was so glad that, um, that I got to work with them and that like, that's who was at the helm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. When I saw Mermista, I didn't realize she was going to have um, brown skin. I didn't realize she was going to be taller than everyone, which I always am. I didn't realize she was going to be curvy. And I honestly cried when I saw the picture of her because I had been recording, I think, about a year at that point because for animation, it's super far in advance. Um, so I didn't know what she was going to look like. Like the first drawing I saw when I auditioned was like, she looked completely different. And so when I saw that, like, she kind of looked like me, I mean, I just like 
it was really emotional because I was just like, this is so cool that like this gets to be a mermaid princess. Like usually mermaid princesses do not look like this, you know? Um, and I really love, I love Mermista a lot. <laughs> like, um, she's so iconic. She's hilarious. Um, and yeah, yeah. I can't believe she's an icon. I had no idea. She's iconic. So no basically, idea. um, yeah, I mean, it was truly incredible because often in animation, it's very unhealthy, not unhealthy. There's nothing wrong with being like skinny, but it's only like one body type. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's only, it's only very, very thin folks to the point where it's kind of unrealistic. It's like, where are their ribs? And usually <laughs> yeah. only white people, usually, um, one kind of type of personality or type of very docile or like overly charismatic. And like Mermista is this, um, she's she's tall she's powerful um she's curvy um she's a black woman she's kind of sarcastic mm -hmm. and like um she's got this amazing sense of humor and this uh, amazing personality and she's also a badass mermaid princess who can control the water <laughs> and the oceans but she's like kind of annoyed by it like and <laughs> and so she gets really she's kind of the voice of reason uh, a lot in in the show um I'd love to play a little bit of a clip of Mermista being iconic um, <laughs> for people. Um, I think we're going to play the scene where Mermista is um, leading everyone. She's kind of obsessed with mystery books and she's leading everyone um, to be suspicious and question each other when they're trying to find like who's the snitch in the group or something. Um, very funny, very iconic. Uh, this isn't a specifically queer scene, um, but she is a bi icon at all times. So you know what? It doesn't have to be. <laughs> yes. I called you all here to discuss what happened today. The mission to retake Drill was a complete disaster. We barely made it out. I want to know why. The Horde knew we were coming. They were ready for us. How do they keep doing this? We thought they were tracking Adora, but she wasn't even there today. Isn't it obvious? There's a Horde spy somewhere in Bright Moon. And no one is going anywhere until we figure out who it is. Mermista, it's very unlikely that there's a spy. We need to investigate. Obviously, I'll be the lead detective since I've read every single Mermystery book. Mer what? Mermystery! It's only the best undersea mystery novel series ever. There's like 18 of them. It taught me everything I need to know about solving mysteries. Murder mysteries! Ugh. Um, but no one's been murdered? Yes. Oh. First, we need to question the suspects. Who are the suspects? Everyone is a suspect. Everyone? Is anyone else sweating? I'm sweating. This is a waste of time. We know that the Horde is pulling their troops back to prepare for something big. That's what we should be investigating. No, Mermista's right. And we know it can't be me the Horde's tracking since, once again, you used me as a distraction today. A spy is really the only thing that makes sense. Maybe they didn't fall for the distraction because you're a bad actress. And who would this spy even be anyway? <laughs> How about the Horde officer who's living at, I'm sorry, being held prisoner at Bright Moon? Shadow Weaver has actual shadow spies. We met them. Shadow Weaver does seem like the obvious suspect, which means it definitely isn't her. It's never the obvious one. Like in Mermystery, the pearl who knew too much. You think it's the pearl? But it's not. Spoilers! It's time.
time to interrogate the castle! With TV, what I love is you, it's an ongoing um, discovery about the character. And so like, I didn't know that Mermista loved mystery novels and that that was the one thing she got excited about. So it was like such a fun thing to learn about my character <laughs> and to get to, you know, cause because I chose that, like, I was so dry and so over it. It was so fun to just be like, but the one thing she's passionate about is mysteries. And I just, I love that was one of my favorite days. And she's the ruler of her own kingdom of Selenius. She's got, um, you know, her her love interest. She's got, like, um, this, this war that they're fighting. But, like, she's so monotone about everything, about her boyfriend, yeah, yeah. about ruling an entire kingdom, about having sea powers, about being in a war. She's like, oh, she's so over everything. <laughs> About like, um, yeah, like when when her entire kingdom gets destroyed in in one of the episodes, um, she's just like eating ice cream and just like nothing means anything anymore. Like, but the one thing that animates her is mystery novels, which is so funny. Yeah. And I think she has like, I don't know, it just showed that like, no, like no one is one dimensional. No one is just like, I'm sarcastic and I hate everything. It's like, no, like mermista fucking loves mystery novels she loves them and that gets her really excited and like i think it just like points to when you just give someone layers when you're just like she's not just this she's also this it just is it just makes the characters more human or in this case more mermaid (laughs) yes exactly and on Mm -hmm. ethereum no one's marginalized because racism and homophobia doesn't exist on that planet but in our planet it unfortunately very much does and oftentimes when stories of queer people black people anyone who is a marginalized community are told it's always like this struggle story it's always about pain it's always their whole personality like um or, or their whole thing like the only it's totally fine to tell those stories but hollywood just loves churning out like tragedy porn and essentially and and so it's nice to have these these queer um poc characters who are whose stories don't revolve around them being oppressed but it's like they have personalities and um and like storylines outside of just their identity and like i said there's nothing wrong with with that being a storyline but if that's the only thing hollywood's telling is like it's so hard to be queer it's so hard to be black like you're so oppressed you're so oppressed if that's it then that gets really exhausting Mm -hmm. to only see stories where you see people like you struggling and in pain and and sometimes you just want to see like someone who looks like you being a funny mermaid princess who loves mystery novels. Yeah. And like, honestly, no one, no one, no one on this planet is just one thing. No one. Like we are all like weird, complex, complete humans that have the, the defy boxes, like all of us, even if you don't think you do, you freaking do. And so it's just like, I think the more complex we let people of color be, we let queer people be like the more, we're just actually realizing that everyone is um, a human that that you know deserves dignity and and representation. Definitely. I also want to emphasize it's not just like tokenizing, like um, right. Like I feel like every character or voice actor was just not the norm, you know, and that almost never happens. And it was like we literally, I think, because animation's so crazy. You only like like I often just recorded by myself. Um, sometimes in a rare instance, you could, you would maybe line up with some other people and get to record. There was maybe four or five of us, but there was one day where we got to like take a picture together and we all got to watch the first few episodes. And it was so cool to meet everybody and just be like, this is the cast. Like, these are the people who are getting to, to bring these characters to life. And so it wasn't just like a bunch of also 
white people like playing the parts you know it was like there was representation in the actual animated characters and also in the voice actors which is so cool yeah it was really yeah it was really cool the characters of color are played by people of color and there are so many characters of so many different identities but it's not like (laughs) preachy or it's not tokenizing it's just everyone is like it's not a world of just white straight people there's also just as a side note, I've noticed that there's no straight people kissing, but the lesbians kiss in the show. Very, very fun. We love that. Yeah. Like they're, they're, oh the straight God, people yeah. don't kiss on the lips, just the gay people. It's great. Reverse. <laughs> That's reverse. So true. Um, take that. No, I'm kidding. Um, yes. But no, but I think like, I think like, yeah, like what you're saying, like Noel is so freaking smart and had a game plan from the beginning. Like nothing was like an accidental throwaway. Like, Oh, I don't know. I haven't thought that much about the, this character. Yeah. So what was your personal experience playing Mermista and playing a character who is so unlike any other animated character really seen before? Honestly, it was incredible. Like, I felt so proud to be in a um, specifically animated series um, just because I think that children's programming is so important. Like I'm someone who grew up on um, Sesame street, like in the eighties and nineties. And that um, I just, I, I don't know. I think children's programming is, I was just, can I curse on you? I was you just going to say like, Go ahead. I was just, it's fucking amazing because you're literally getting in on the ground floor with the future of our world saying, and I think like, It's so important to emphasize, like, this is not like all the stuff we're talking about. It's so subtle. It's not that it's just like, you know, every episode is like, who is Mermista fucked? You know, it's literally just like, no, like, you don't even realize how subliminal straightness is or um, whiteness is until you like, look at it from that lens. And you're, you know, it's just like Sleeping Beauty. She's just in love with the prince. And she's just like, you know, like, there, there are so many stories like that, that you don't realize that the the um, hetero, you know, narrative is so just, it's just seeped into everything. So every episode of she has like an incredible storyline and like an incredible adventure and really funny lines, but it's just the subtlety is just like, it's okay that Bo has two dads and it's okay that Mermista likes women and men. It's just like, it's normal. And the fact that we're normalizing it to kids, I think that is like, really just one of my passions and I'm like so happy that I got to be a part of something that was tailored for kids that adults can also clearly (laughs) like we can fully enjoy it and like have like you know a great time watching it but also like you can show it to your kids and it's fun just for the normalize whole it yeah fun for the whole family and that is what I'm I'm I just am really into that of just like making sure that kids know from a young age that like this shit is normal and it should not be you don't have to sit your kids down and watch a gay movie you could just like put on Shira and just be like it's a story where this is normal not like it doesn't have to be like the point of it and like you know what I mean I don't know yeah exactly and it's not like Nowhere in there is Mermista like, I am bisexual, guys. I need to sit you down and tell you. I know it's yeah. weird that I've dated both women and men. And oh, my God. Oh, how scandalous. No, it's not a thing. It's people. She's like, oh, God, that's my ex. And it's a woman. And oh, God, that's my ex. And it's a man. And oh, God, that's yeah. my ex. And it's a non-binary person. And it's not like, <gasps> it's just who she is. And that's fine. And Adora and Catra are never like, guys, we're lesbians. It's just like, oh, they're in yeah. love. Cool. Um, Bo is never like, I have to yeah. warn you. 
I got two dads. Oh my God, two dads. <gasps> like, no, that's never a thing. No. It's just like, these are my dads. They're kind of history nerds. Oh my God, your dads make so many dad jokes. Yeah. That's hilarious. And also, oftentimes when it comes to queer representation, it's often always so white and you never see like queer mm-hmm. people of color. But Mermista is a bisexual black mermaid princess and Bo is a bi black boy with two gay black dads and and Glimmer is a um, bisexual Asian woman. And none of these things are like, again, they're not tokenized because it's not like there's just one. Like everyone is mm-hmm. – and everyone is is something that, that people – don't often see represented enough in the media, but it's also not preachy. It's not like over the head, like, hello kids, would you like some diversity? Totally. 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 And that's what I'm like, that's like the thing that I'm like, I don't know. I'm just really proud that I got to be a part of it. Um, and that it was really like, I don't know. It was honestly such a gift. Um, and I get so excited when people tell me that their kids watch it or that, um, yeah, that they like showed it to their niece or their nephew or whatever. Like, I just am really, um, I don't know. I'm really happy about it. I hope to be a part of like more animated series that are as cool as that. I don't know if I will. <laughs> like, I kind of, I kind of peaked with my first voiceover gig. Well, I mean, but... <laughs> I do plan to write for animation, and I am a big fan of you. So, wink, wink. great. Well, just call me. Call me. Jeannie. I will. Just like, absolutely. Just come find me. So. You also play another – you were a little bit typecast for a moment there. You also play another kind of dry, sarcastic, <laughs> um, <laughs> iconic character in the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and who you play? Yeah, so um, Crazy Ex was a four-season show that's now on Netflix, and it starred Rachel Bloom, and Rachel and Aline Brosh McKenna created it, and – it's um, about a young lawyer in New York City who decides to, like, give up her career because she runs into her, her boyfriend from camp and when, when she was a teenager. And she realizes that he lives in West Covina, California, which is, like, a suburb of Southern California. And she decides on a whim to, like, follow him there. And it's also a musical, but it's about, like, mental health and pursuing happiness and kind of, um, finding your most authentic self and, um, and kind of the exploration of that. Um, but I don't think a lot of people know it's a musical, so I just have to keep repeating that it's a musical. (laughs) It is a musical. And then I played, um, Heather who was, um, initially Rebecca who Rachel plays, um, Rebecca Bunch's neighbor. And then I, I think then we moved in together. I think the season two. I can't you remember. You guys were anymore. roommates for like season two. A, a while. Roommates. A, a yeah. We roommates. There. Yeah. Heather was just like part of the crew. <laughs> yeah. So Crazy Ex Girlfriend is another show where, um, where there are so many queer people and it's also in a casual way, though it does exist on planet Earth. Yeah. So like stigmas and stereotypes and stuff like that do exist. But I love, like, Heather's character. She only dates men in the show, and, like, there's no mention of her being queer. But she just gives me such bisexual energy with her little... I know. I feel like, like she everyone online bi. was always, like, she's bi, she's bi. Like, everyone was always she just, just kind of, like... She gave me big bi energy. And, like, um, yeah, like she would totally. always have, like, these little... The way she dressed, she'd have, like, these streaks of colors in her hair that would always be, like, a color of the bi pride flag. And I'd be, like, oh, and, and just, just the energy. Oh, my God. Just the, just the energy. Wait, of- are you... See, I I didn't know that, but I I always chose all my colors. Oh my god, so that's really funny. Purple? I didn't even that was pink. Yeah, and red. 
pink and red. Red is the red well, part. Of red it? is not, um, but that's close enough. If you had blue, then you'd okay. Be- close enough. Yeah, close, close enough. enough. I think. Look, I think Heather's definitely by. So let the record show. You've heard it here, here today. Folks. You heard it here today. <laughs> the the rumors were true. The rumors. <laughs> the the internet true. guessed it. The internet gets it. <laughs> Vella Lavelle, can you say one more time for the internet? Is Heather bisexual? Heather. Heather is definitely bi. Heather is End a bisexual. Story. <laughs> End of story. Period. Yes, we love it. It's canon now, yeah. folks. Um, it's canon, yeah. <laughs> um, but so what was your experience like being on set? You know, when we talked about before about like um, lack of representation and racial stereotypes in the media. And there was this mm-hmm. one scene um, in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where I feel like it was handled very well where there was this like diversity program that Heather's white boss is trying to get her to sign up for but he's like he's well-meaning but he's kind of ignorant and he walks up to her and he's just like he he doesn't just say like hey there's this training program i think you should try um for this company instead he just like stumbles around it and he's like people like you where are you from what are you and then he gets her a sorry even though um your character like you is is a is half black and half white but he thinks she's indian and and he gets her a sari and she's just like oh god even if i was indian like what are you doing and it was just can you tell us a little bit more about like how that was explored in that scene and and filming the yeah so that scene was um or that kind of episode um i actually went into the writer's room and kind of gave them a bunch of um experiences that happen to me in my life all the time and that one is a huge one um I'm uh I guess ethnically ambiguous and I can't I really don't have enough time in the day to tell you how many times I've had that conversation um where someone just is like so where are you from but like where are you really from and then I'll be like oh my dad's black and my mom's white and they're like no they're no you're not no, like they know me more than I know them. And I'm just like, okay, well, I guess you know, you seem to know, <laughs> you seem to know. So why don't you tell me what I am? Um, but anyway, so um, it was cool that I got to go into the writer's room and kind of lend my experience because again, kind of what we're saying, like I, I had a lot of mixed race people reach out to me after that episode. And we're just like, I, that happens to me. Like that is totally like what it's like. And that really meant a lot to me that I kind of got to lend my experience and provide that kind of um, that little recognition of like that happens a lot. Um, and yeah, so that was like a very it was very cool to see that on screen. It was it felt really insane because it totally is just my life. And that's just what happens a lot. So it was very like a life image art imitating life. Um, but that's also hopefully why it resonated with people. Um, and yeah, I think pretty much like every Aline and Rachel were both very like representation was very important to them and they very much like put, um, the effort into that. And I think that is a big, um, a big kind of thing for people who are allies, no matter what you're an ally to or for that, like, yeah, you might have to put a little bit of effort into it, but honestly, once you start doing it, it's really not that hard. Um, well, what's next for you? Like, what's next for Vela? Where can people find you next? Where can people who are fans see what you're doing? 
right now I um so I got to be on a show called Mr. Mayor that has been so much fun to shoot and it's on NBC and we found out we got a second season which is great and so we'll be shooting that sometime in the fall um and I think the first nine episodes are on Peacock which I know not everyone has but if you're thinking about getting it it's on there and um that was really fun. And Ted Danson and Holly Hunter are in it and Bobby Moynihan from SNL. And it's just like a lot of really, really funny people. Um, so I'm there. If you, I'm, I'm living in Peacock now, if you want to check that out. Um, and then I'll also be, I'm guest starring on a show called Forget Normal. That's going to be on Amazon coming out, I hope later this year. Um, and that's been a great experience too. So hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully you'll see me later this fall on your screens. <laughs> awesome. Um, is there any last parting wisdom or advice that you have for the people listening who maybe want to be an actress like you and and create uh, the take up the space in in Hollywood that 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 their communities aren't, haven't been historically afforded like what is your advice for for people who aspire to do what you do um my advice is that people want to put you in boxes i think it's a very like um primal animal thing that people if if um if someone doesn't understand you they want you to fit in a box and i feel like i am just learning how powerful it is when you refuse to um, put yourself in a box and you let yourself be complex and you let yourself be messy and you let yourself be weird and you let it not make sense. And you kind of um, see the power in your own individuality um, because that I think is what makes us like all uh, human is, is how messy and weird and complex we are. And so like, I can't tell you how many times people have told me like, that I don't make sense or that they don't like see it working out for me because of X, Y, and Z. And if I had listened to them, then I would just be doing something I didn't want to be doing. Um, and living a version of me that wasn't actually helpful to anyone. So yeah, I would just say like, when that happens, just try and let it in one ear and out the next and keep digging into that um, authentic version of yourself. Um, cause that's what I think the world needs more of, honestly. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure our listeners got a lot from you today. Um, you're amazing and I hope to see you and many more amazing shows to come. And later down the line, when I write different animated things, I will definitely yes. call. <laughs> you better call me. I will a hundred percent. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lavender U. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Foundation, and our theme song is Love Line by the one and only Zolita. We release new episodes every other Thursday, so make sure you like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And follow us on social media too. We are at Lavender U Pod, that's Y-O-U, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're a queer person out there who's just feeling alone or sad or anxious or like no one in the world understands what it's like, 
know that you are not alone. Lavender U is a community of people who love and accept you, and our DMs on social media are always open if you need to talk. Send us a message anytime. We are here for you. See you next episode, and until then, long live the gays.